Hey everyone, here's another Patreon preview. This is the third part of our cybernetics series where we talk about Ashby's Law and we learn a little bit about what variety means in a system. Uh, here's a little clip from that episode. If you'd like the full thing, go to patreon.com workstoppage and support us with $5 a month. It is what allows us to make the show as an entirely listener-supported show. So we appreciate it if you can do that. If not, we understand. Anyway, here's the clip. Solidarity. Yes, yeah, so I this is interesting and all, uh, but I'm just and and like there's you can see all of the different ways in which he's gathering all these different kinds of information, and then we did kind of get to the conclusion a little bit, and that he built this this kind of machine that actually is capable of adapting to its environment. But why why why? What what uh, what does Ashby have to do with this whole cybernetics thing? Well, it's it's just so interesting because it seems like any time Ashby was given a system, he was always trying to get down to the like, why does any of this work in the first place? And in particular with the nervous system, I think it's a great example because the nervous system at that time was terribly mysterious and is also like unimaginably complex. Like there's so many things happening in your nervous system instantaneously all the time and yet it still functions. It's never getting caught up together like the key like um the keys of a typewriter when you try to type too fast, for instance. Okay. So he and and similar to how his daughter described him journaling as a way for him to be unburdened by you know financial political considerations it seems like he just really enjoyed living in that abstracted thought world of like okay yes this is a tractor or yes this is a labor union or whatever but it's really a system and i can actually just pencil and paper this all the way through if i really think hard about how i do it okay okay that's making more sense to me and to bring us back into the realm of pragmatism, the real question is, why do we care on this show about what Ashby thought about <laughs> how the nervous system works? And to answer that, I'd like to ask another question. What is a labor union exactly? And so, constitutively, in terms a of... miserable what, pile of secrets. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> a labor union is a Castlevania reference. Uh, that's right. <laughs> but the, the constitution of a labor union materially is not hard to understand. Many, many times on our show, we have asserted that unions are more or less reflexively constituted, which is to say that if workers are operating together in behaviors that improve their working conditions, contrary to the wishes of management, then they have a union. A union exists among them, whether it's recognized, whether it's not, whatever. That's this right. is the ground that we walk on when we discuss radical labor activity in general. But if we keep our eyes on this ground, so to speak, are we going to be ignoring the more vertical issues in our way? Uh, and God, I'm such an annoying writer. The metaphorical <laughs> snags, hedges and brambles of labor organizing do not originate within the workers themselves. And to address them, we must look without as within. So let's take a look at the labor environment for a union and try and get a handle on what that is. It's a tricky question with an easy answer. It's a horrible mess. It's terrible. The environment for labor unions, especially in the United States, is just atrocious. So even during the best of conditions in this country, and the same does go for most cases abroad, the landscape of labor is a shifting mass of influence with very little clear data on offer beyond the simplest of heuristics, such as union density or polls that kind of roughly gauge support for unions. 
but more specific issues like the degree of commitment of the members or the amount of support they might be able to expect from the public in terms of material or the way that the press is going to report on them favorably or disfavorably is sort of in the wind until we can shake it out and find out what happened after the fact. Yeah, I feel like if we want like a metaphor for that labor, the environment of a labor union, it's like you ever seen video of like the inside of like the caldera of a volcano? <laughs> I feel like no. that's the uh, environment that most labor unions are are organizing within. <laughs> yeah, they're they're what you would call exophiles. They are. Uh, species that originate in very, very harsh conditions. <laughs> Absolutely. Extremely true. Extremophiles. That's what they're called. Exophiles <laughs> and, live in space. And we are back to <laughs> zoology, folks. That's right. And I'm already getting terminology <laughs> wrong. I meant extremophiles. Exophiles live in space. I was going to say, they <laughs> they like being outside. I'm like, I'm like just trying to figure it out from the Latin. <laughs> but... um. Yes. So the conditions that, that labor unions face, in addition to being murky, also might change instantly or drastically based on a number of factors that tend to originate outside our particular system that we are an analyzing of workers who have banded together. So this seems like a complete disaster yeah. right out of the gate. For an example of that, COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID. <laughs> God damn, I wish COVID wasn't such a good example of so many things. <laughs> um, but this seems like a really big disaster. So I have primed you for an episode on the behavior of closed systems that are able to operate within their own sets of rules, like a targeting machine, an office, a union local, things that you expect to have some kind of internal continuity that can operate on that. But now the system has been thrown open to the outside, like Pandora's box, Although actually a bunch of things came out of Pandora's box. So maybe it's more like, <laughs> never mind. We've been thrown <laughs> open to the outside. We, and we have opened Pandora's box and the horrors that were inside, the worst things on earth, like Littler Mendelssohn That's escaped. Right. <laughs> Imagine, who opened that? Athena? No, wait. Seems... Wasn't Pandora? Yeah. Oh, it was Pandora. I don't, I don't actually right. remember the because it was her box. <laughs> yeah. I, I mythology is confusing. Well, <laughs> the thing that all right. So this starts to get me a little bit more on track for as to what Ashby is actually adding to the conversation here when you compare the ways in which Norbert Wiener is, you know, ha has this system that can have almost these ideal circumstances, mm -hmm. and whereas what Ashby is trying to understand is. Uh, you know, if we take this I almost idealized system and put it into the real world where there are so many other factors, how is it that it still functions? Right, precisely. So like Wiener, the, the example of the anti-aircraft gun is so great because it's operating within a very, very tight set of parameters. And even though it is a tricky problem to track the aircraft, it's a pretty artificially constructed situation that you can go into and you don't have to, you don't have to worry about too many outside factors intervening compared to Ashby who is kind of trying to develop like a general uh, understanding of how systems like in particular people and animals use habituation and trial and error in order to adjust to their environments and become viable in them yeah like I think as an example there like for instance like if you're designing a system that has to again 
like a radar system that has to look up at the sky and find things and to direct stuff in that direction. It doesn't care if the FAA makes new regulations. You may decide to modify it mm-hmm. because of that, but the system itself does not necessarily care about that. Whereas a union cares about, oh, there was new labor legislation enacted. Well, that matters. Or even there's new legislation that isn't classed as labor legislation, but it affects the economy in all these downstream Mm -hmm. ways, which will itself affect the union, which means the union needs to change its tactics. And that can go into, like, legal environments at all levels, federal, state, Mm -hmm. municipal, even sub-municipal. And that's just, like, a legal environment, then there's cultural aspects mm-hmm. and all these other things that these more restricted environments, like even for, for instance, something like, uh, you know, for, for something that has a, a feedback system really built into it, modern um, robotic vacuum cleaners. Like those have to learn. They have to look around. They have to pick up your environment. They, they have to adapt to changes in the environment and stuff. But there's a box that they know generally that they're working in. Like it's, it's going to be inside. It's not going to get rained on. It's like, you know, there's, there's all sorts of different things that they're not, that the designers of the machine don't have to take into account because of that closed system it's operating in. Right. So how do we cope with the fact that all systems are essentially open systems? and exist in environments, and that the world is just constructed of systems within systems within systems. And we're very rarely going to get to isolate our variables to the level of certainty and simplicity that Wiener was able to when he was trying to build his anti-aircraft targeting. And the way... This is like the problem, uh, just very briefly, mm-hmm. like from engineering school, <laughs> when you go in and you, you, you start learning mathematical models for small, very simple systems. And it's like, here's... Here's the uh, length of the equations, and it's very small, (laughs) as I'm doing like gestures, which don't translate into words. (laughs) Here's the length of the equations for the time-independent system, and it's very short. And then here's the time-dependent version, basically, Mm -hmm. as the system can change over time, and the equations are now pages long. Yeah, they just balloon. Because they yeah. like they recursively affect themselves, right? And it's like it's like when you write code that writes code. It's like here's the code I wrote, and here's the code it wrote, and it's just like billions of characters. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, how do how do we cope with this? How do we cope with this? Because it seems completely overwhelming. So, there's one critical term that we're going to introduce here called variety. And this is going to help you understand all of this stuff or better yet, decide which parts you don't even care to understand, or it doesn't matter if you do or not. And that's can be just as valuable. So Stafford beer says only variety can absorb variety. And that might be confusing at first. It's confusing to me still, but I understand it. And that only makes it more confusing. So I'd like to invite you into that elite club. Let's clear the air (laughs) and get down to something specific here that will actually help us with all of these sweeping generalizations I've been making during the first part of this program. 